you know, I know back in the day, Peter Wayne did a big thing about the amount of vertical force that you put in the ground. But I've got guys that jump 40 inches vertical jump, and they're not my fastest guys because they have too much vertical force into the ground. There has to be some forward direction. And so how can I get you to create that so you can use this incredible spring to knock you forward? That was Chris Corfist, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Lost Empire Herbs, and I want to share with you how to get a free bag of pine pollen through Lost Empire here today. Quickly first, I used to think herbs was just jinkle biloba you got at the drugstore, but after being introduced to compounds such as the Phoenix Formula through Lost Empire, I've been a regular consumer of Lost Empire Herbs for over four years now. The Phoenix Formula instantly changed my viewpoint on herbalism. I was literally buzzing with energy after my first dose. Within two weeks, I was noticing strength improvements in the weight room. And it's been fun expanding my herbalism regime to different things throughout the Lost Empire Herbs store. In Phoenix Formula in particular, along with Shiliagit, which is a very popular herb for strength and performance, you also have pine pollen, which is a superfood. It offers a variety of energy, health, and performance benefits. And you can grab that free bag of pine pollen with the modest cost of shipping by heading to justflypinepollen.com. If you want to check out other herbs that I enjoy through Lost Empire, you can head to lostempireherbs slash justfly and grab 15% off your order. I can't recommend Lost Empire enough, and I really enjoy the fact that I've been able to partner with them through this podcast for as long as I have. So be sure to check that out. Let's get on to the rest of the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's awesome to have you here, and we have a great episode for you today with track coach, speed coach, Chris Corfist. Chris is fresh off of a state championship as the sprints coach at Homewood Flossmoor High School in Chicago, Illinois. The 4x100 and 4x200 relay teams for Homewood Flossmoor took first place. Chris got some awesome time drops from his athletes. He made some key updates to his sprint program on the year, and he talks all about that throughout today's episode. This was a really wonderful conversation. It's always great talking to Chris. Not only is Chris a great coach, but he's also a great storyteller. I really enjoy these conversations, and I know you will too. So let's get to episode 363 here with coach Chris Corfist. Chris, it's great to have you back on the show, man. And you're not sitting on a dock this time. I think you're in your normal uh, working location, but great to have you here, man. Well, thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be on and always fun to have a discussion with you. Yeah, so I, I know you just got done with the state meet, and uh, tell me a little bit how it went. I know, obviously, going into the the regional meets, you had said everything was going really well, and I'm sure that went really well going into state. Actually, I didn't even, I kind of saved how that went till our actual conversation here <laughs> instead of asking you beforehand. So, yeah, curious how that went for you. Yeah, so it went really well. Of course, the Illinois state track meet's a, a big state meet because the whole state's there, and so it's not split like California or some of these other places that I think where that happens. And there's such a geographic difference between Northern Illinois and Southern Illinois that in Southern Illinois, where it's 85 degrees and they're running times, it's like, oh man, they're fast. And then we go out and run and it's 60 degrees. It's like, well, they're close to us, but you kind of always forget the temperature difference and you know what the wind is and the effect that the temperature has on the surface of the track. So we're all there on the same time. So we show up, uh, and the first time in my career, I had two people qualify in the 100 and the 200, which was pretty cool. The 4x1 and 4x2 made it. The 4x4 made it. We had a kid in the 300 lows 
and uh, open 400. And we had some kids and some jumps that Rob Assisi had and uh, uh, the four by eight that didn't have such a great day on prelims. And uh, I think the shocking moment, well, there are a couple of shocking moments for me or, or bucket list moments. Uh, first of all, we had both people make it in the 100 and 200 into finals, which I've never had. You know, I've never even had two people qualify in both events. And then in the four by one, uh, we hit, we came in with the fastest time two weeks before we ran 4103 because we pushed it. And I thought with a hot day, we could run 40 point, but we weren't getting hot days anymore. And at sectionals, you don't want to push it because if you drop the baton or you go outside because you're pushing, you're not going to make it. So we were just running to score. But if you watch the film, our opening leg in the four by one, by the time they made the exchange, we're in lane five. He caught lane nine. And you hear the whole crowd stand up and go, oh, oh my God. And it's like, so it was one of those moments where it's like, wow, that's, that's dominant. And uh, I think the next closest time to us was a second behind us in the four by one. I think if we had a hot day, if we had a 90 degree day on Friday, I think we could have set the state records in the four by one and four by two. Yeah. Um, wishful thinking on my part, of course, but you know, I think we could have, we could have been there. When it's all said and done, I think we had the second, we ran the second fastest time in the history of the state with, uh, with the 4103 at our conference meet, which is great about FAT because you know, it's legit. You know, it's not some handheld secretary that's <laughs> clicking you off really fast. It's, it's a legit time. And so going into Saturday, the sprint crew, which is 100 to 400, we scored 58 points and won the state meet. Oh, that's awesome. And the four by one, won the four by two, placed well in the 100 and the 200, and, and then uh, placed well in the 300 and the 400. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, you know, you mentioned even to, uh, well, yeah, I was going to say, even if not breaking 41, I mean, 4103 is an insane time for high school. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I was going to say, too, at the FAAT, it is funny. I, it, like when I was coaching back at Wilmington, these kids would be like, oh, I ran this in the four by four. And then they'd run like, so in high school, they're like, oh, I ran this in the 404 in high school. It's kind of like the, the myth of the, you know, oh, I ran this, this, uh, 40 yard dash in the high school in this time. It's yeah. like, and it's like, what did your grandma time you, you know, and yeah. gave you like an extra three, you know, a three second boost or something like that. <laughs> you would always, you know, it was always sketchy. And so, I mean, I guess, you know, um, hand time, let alone, but then if it's a split, you know, and they say, oh, yeah. I ran this split, you know, I ran this split. And I said, well, you know, it's a little sketchy, especially, you know, but anyway. That's how it works, you know, with uh, handheld, it's always the secretary for the foreign language department that's in charge of first place or second place. And it's their first track meet. They're just there for the 60 bucks. And it's always not the most accurate thing around. Yeah. I was going to ask you before we get into some of the tra the more um, like nuts and bolts of training, because I know you said you treated a few things really differently this year. Is yeah. I know we were talking about the like the mental training and body language a few podcasts back. And you know, I was curious, you know, as all your, so many things have evolved for you over time, or you continue to tweak and refine, I'm curious, uh, like, the, the I am the greatest story the, that I, I've shared on this podcast a few times, I think you've talked about it, where you had, a, and it was like Douglas Hill's idea, I think, to have athletes yeah. yell, I'm the greatest, before they did a jump, and they jumped, jumped higher. I, I'm curious what your, um, like, mental, any mental strategies are, are revolving around races, competition, or training that have changed, or just you, that you like to share? 
So because kids are so addicted to their phone these days, we have an athlete who's a, a good sprinter. He was an alternate on our relays and he'll be there next year. He's magic with, with video. And what he did is he would film, whether it was in practice or a meet or something like that. In fact, <laughs> he's, he's filming kids and then he puts together, I don't know what he calls it, a highlight tape or something like that. But he puts it to music and you actually watch yourself do these amazing things in these different positions and these different angles and the different lighting and stuff like that. And so really before our meet, they're watching a highlight video of them that's been that this kid made. And it's just this constant feedback that you are all of that. And then so they watch that. And I was going to post these pictures when we warm up. Everyone's wondering why my kids are laying down on the ground while everyone's up doing all their different drills, running up and down the field. And they're on their back, they're zoned out, they're listening to whatever their their playlist is because everyone's got a playlist. Some of them don't have a playlist and they're just there breathing, but they're laying down. And you know, halfway through the meet, why do you have to warm up again? Adrenaline's going to kick in. Why burn all that energy doing my A skips, B skips, you know, all the different runs back and forth? And my kids are out. You know, sometimes I have to go, hey, you're up, you know. Oh, yeah, I was I was thinking about what we're doing and zoning in. So, yeah, we're, excuse me, we're still on that, that track, but using the phone with these highlight tapes that this kid made, and then he puts it to music, and you pick your songs, and he syncs everything up. And, you know, I said to him, I can't, I should, probably shouldn't say his name, but, you know, <laughs> How much you you know you should charge like three hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollars for this is phenomenal. He goes, no, they're my teammates' coach. It takes me twenty minutes, and that's what everyone's watching. Everyone's watching a highlight tape. You know, he throws in their goals, he throws in their different things. And I think another thing we did this year is we really talked about instead of self talk, where you know you just say, "I'm going to run this time or this." You know, I, I had them really focus on telling your story. Tell yourself the story of where you've been and what you're going to do, you know, because humans would much rather hear a story than a, a list of facts. I mean, think about your, your U.S. history class or whatever history class where the teacher comes up and puts up a PowerPoint and write, write down these things and you write down, you know, Missouri Compromise, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. We want to hear the story behind it. So our self-talk this year became a story like, this is where I came from. This is what I did. Nobody believed me or whatever your backstory is. And then this is where I'm going. You know, this is how this story plays out. And I think that was really effective. In fact, uh, one of my athletes who was third in state last year in the 200 couldn't beat a junior on our own team. And, uh, you know, I told him the story of John Carlos. You know, we all know the John Carlos story, the fist on the, on the podium, but I was speaking at the Wisconsin State Clinic and we were both speaking and I got to have lunch with them. So I sat, we were kind of locked in a room because they didn't want us to go away so we wouldn't miss our speaking time. And so I'm sitting with him having lunch for two hours and he's telling me, you know, the backstory behind that. And it's like, that's the only time I lost to the guy who got first place. And so that became his thing. You know, his phone was the guy on top of the on top of the podium at the 68 Olympics, because that was the only time he beat John Carlos. So, you know, tying in history and tying in stories to your self-talk, I think is really powerful because as humans, we all want a story. 
Yeah. It's kind of like the the hero's journey that's written in all the movies, like Star Wars and Harry Potter. And part of the reason they're so popular is because it's that archetype. You might not outright be thinking, oh, here's this part now, but it's it's in your your feelings. It's in your gut. You know, you know, and I think the more we can put that onto the aspects of our life, it's it makes a big difference. Yep. It, 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 and you believe your own story. You start to believe your own story because whatever your political bend is these days, think of all the stories we've been told. And it's much easier to believe a story than a series of facts. Yeah. It's more, um, yeah, it's just more personal. It kind of transcends that. I think so often we look for, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to touch on this too. I know we're going to have a lot of great training ideas today, but I think so often, I think that's the only place people go soft. And you know what I'm saying? Where it's like the visceral piece is like, it's the story, it's the race, it's like being in competition. It's those things that you, you can't explain quite as much on, on that yeah, typical it, level. It's, the, explain. it's the art of coaching. Yeah. You figure out what motivates that kid and then you hit that button when you need to. You don't hit it all the time, but you know where to go and you know when to use it because he needs that button pushed. And, and that's everywhere. And I think, especially this year and some other good years where I have had great teams, the art of coaching really isn't, and this year, I, you know, I'm going to say it is, but, you know, half the battle is managing these guys' brain. Mm-hmm. You know, what is their mind doing? How can I motivate them? Because in track and field and every other sport, you really have to beat the guy inside your head. That's the worst enemy that you have is the person that's telling you you can't. Or now with YouTube and social media, you know, coach, I saw... This guy, he's got a million hits. Uh, he said I should be starting like this. <laughs> well, no, you know, you know, that's you don't run like that at all. You don't have any of those qualities. And no, all right, all right. Well, I'll listen to you then, Coach. Okay, yeah, because I know you. You know, I, we've looked at the tape together. So again, I think all the social media and all the YouTube stuff just feeds into that bad guy in your head. And this year, half the battle was. Okay, we're good, but how do we stay good? How do we stay healthy? And how do, how do we not create doubt in our own head? How do we know that we're going to do this? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that too with the the art of coaching. And I I've probably mentioned it on this podcast at some point, but having as a strength coach, having the opportunity to work with Olympic level swim coaches when I was at Cal was like such of all the experiences. I mean, I had a lot of great training conversations with the track coaches. And things like that and seeing some of the, the ways that they did things. But I think the biggest lasting impact, if I, I, I mean, there was a lot of them, but probably the biggest one was watching how those swim coaches would manage the minds of the athletes. Especially yep. even little details. I remember like as swimming is such a unique sport too, in terms of tapering and peaking too, they, they kind of overtrain and then they let up at the end of the year and then everyone gets huge PRs, you know, that, that kind of thing. And maybe to it, maybe it's because it's a tough sport, you know, it's just such a tough sport. Maybe that's in some respects, there's more progressive versions of it, but some respects by design, maybe. But regardless, they would like the coach would say, oh, this kid's down on himself because he swam this time at this meet last year. And now he's thinking this and I can see his mind going this way. And so they're, they're finding ways to help people not live in the past and to try. You know, it's just it was just such a you could just see how written into it it was. And yeah, I was going to say, too, it's interesting that that highlight reel, it shares a lot in common with I think a lot of like, you know, personal development things. Like I've seen a thing like mind movies. It's like, you know, design your future. Like you make a movie of like, you know, the things that you want to do or accomplish. It's like a story, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very, that reminded me of that as you were talking about that with the highlight reels. So I, I mean, yeah, it's just very, 
It's a very interesting story. And it seems, I mean, it's just so, it's so cool too. Cause before we were talking about like, I'm the greatest and, you know, like you know, the, the big loud, you know, yelling stuff. And then here's something that is more, you know, different, but extremely effective and shares a lot of principles for with the, the personal development type world. Yeah. And I think kids want to see themselves do well because their whole life is looking at a phone and seeing other people do things. That's what they're, they're at today. I mean, that's what they do is. You know, kids would much rather be safe and watch other people do things than to go out and do stuff themselves yeah. because there's no risk involved. Yeah, it that definitely makes sense. It's like now more than ever, you need to live your own story because this is the easiest time in history not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that was kind of our mental our mental drive this year. Um, we did a lot of breathing. And and instead of getting amped up before the race and, and doing a lot of dynamic warm-up type stuff, you know, they were on their back breathing. <laughs> <laughs> watching their watching their videos and listening to their playlist. Yeah, I, I love it. I always I always think too, I, I always look at like you know, everything in a program, whatever whatever it is, whatever you're training for. And I ask a lot of times like the the main audit of the program or a main assessment is what could we cut that you could spend doing mental training or just sleeping, you know, or recovering or resting. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's not that those movements are inherently bad, but what else could you be doing that, you know, and, and are you taking the time to train the mind at all? You know, even if it's just two minutes, you know, just, just do something. So I, I imagine too, that to have the, the confidence too to be able to do that and not, cause I think a lot of kids would be like, Oh, well, they, this team, these guys are doing this. Like, shouldn't I be doing that too? You know what I'm saying? To to get them to the place where they're okay with that, and they know that it, it to me, it almost it makes it even more effective when you're fully yeah, okay that you're not doing the same thing that everyone else is. I get pretty good buy-in from my kids, and this year there's a lot of kids that have been to multiple state meets, and they know the process, and they felt doing it. They felt doing it the other way, where they may have thought they had to do these huge warm-ups, and they realized. You know, no matter what I do in a warm up, when I get to the line, especially in an open race, there's a shit ton of uh, adrenaline pumping through me. It doesn't matter if I've warmed up or not. That adrenaline takes over pretty well, especially at the state meet where there's 20,000 people in the, in the state stadium screaming. Let's save that. Let's save that adrenaline for when we run instead of being nervous and pacing and doing all the different things. You know, we spent more time in between races pumping sugar into our kids just because that's what burns quick. And, you know, we don't want a hypoglycemic kid stepping up. At the TFC in Sacramento, we had the guys from TFC, our TCU come up and they talked about how much time they spent eating during the game. I thought it makes complete sense. Before our kids would maybe eat breakfast, show up and not eat anything. And you were getting ready to go. I was like, what'd you eat today? Uh, I didn't eat anything today, coach. Wait a minute. You're going to run three races today and you didn't eat anything. Yeah, I kind of just kind of forgot. So <laughs> we pumped food into our kids. You know, my question during the meet is, what did you eat? What have you eaten in the last 30 minutes? And then I'd say, okay, I'm going to watch you eat. Just like, I want to see it go in your mouth. I'm kind of tired, coach. No, I'm not leaving until you, I see the gummy worms go in your mouth. <laughs> All right there, coach. Whatever flavor you want, I'll go get you. But we did that, and I think we had really good stamina throughout the meet. I know it's not great nutritional guidelines that I'm pumping sugar into a kid's during a meet, but that's what they'll eat. You know, it's the same thing with dog sledding. You know, when they when you run dogs, 
they don't want to drink water. So you have to put beaver in the water because beaver is really sweet. And that's what actually gets them to eat while they're racing. So whatever you can to put whatever energy into that battery or into that engine, you know, that's what I'm looking to do. Yeah. Humans are adaptable too. I think it's so easy to look at. It's so easy to say, oh, don't do this, this, this with something like nutrition. But it's like, you know, I, I've heard it said it. I mean, we could, you could eat, humans could eat garbage if we had to, like to survive. Yeah. Like it, yep. it's so, it's like sugar. I mean, and, and if you look at what a lot of those athletes eat at home anyways, you know, for half of their meals, you know, it's, uh, I mean, is it optimal? No, but you know, when you're at a track meet, does it really, you know, whatever they enjoy is probably, and is going to give them that quick energy hit is probably going to be the best, you know? It's, yep. That's, that's what we needed. That's what we needed for that three hours. Then you go home and eat whatever you want. You go eat your chicken or whatever you think you need to eat. But for that meat, you got to have sugar to function. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get into the training nuts and bolts. I know, Chris, you've talked about or, or you've, I think you did a podcast on it. You talked about social media, but you've done some different things this year. And obviously the results were awesome. So tell me a little bit about how you approach this season relative to the recent seasons past. So this year I had most of my four by one that were state champions last year returning. They all either played football in the off se- in the off season in the fall or they trained with me. So I knew if we showed up to practice and we did the exact same thing that we've done the year before, I didn't know how far we'd go because there's no new training, you know, training stimulus. There's no nothing new. You know, doing the same thing over and over again for, with a kid that's done it for coming on their third year, because th- this was the COVID group that I'm getting here. They, they missed their freshman year for COVID. How much are they going to do? How much are they going to get better if we just do the same stuff? Mm-hmm. So we started the season, uh, put them on the 1080. We did, got all kinds of data from them on the 1080. And then we ran fly 10s. And that was the only time we ran fly 10s this year. I had kids, and this isn't on free lap. This is on swift speed time, speed lights, or my algae beams with summit timer. I had kids. You had to run nine eight to be top four on my team. I had a nine two, had a nine three, and I had a nine five and a nine eight. That was my four by one on the first day of practice. Wow, what would those convert to on free lap? By the way, just out of curiosity, I don't know. A couple hundreds, a couple hundreds faster, possibly, or just just oh, different. Yeah, I think the free lap would be a lot faster. And so then, looking at the 1080, you know, and I'm looking at the new data that they have, where you can look at force knot and all those other things. And so we are not a great force team. I mean, we we can get out and we can we can really go, but we don't have a lot of power coming out of the hole. So we spent the entire indoor season pulling. We started short and really heavy just to get those first three steps down. Uh, and then you, you do a heavy set and then you would go over and, and do blocks. But as we, we gradually extended that distance and, and took the tension off the, off the 1080 as you went further and further, then you would go over on the side and you would do drills. And, you know, we can talk about the drills a little bit with a rubber band around your waist and, the duration of that drill would be long and it would probably be about 25, 30 seconds. And then on the other days, we would come and we would put on the exogen sleeves and we would swing our legs. We would either do cycles or swings. And I know there's Peter Wayne research that says that you really can't change the, the speed of that limb speed. But I'll tell you what, 
if you can anchor down your torso, so we'd put our hands on the wall and swing that leg and really focus on A, swinging that leg as fast as you can and B, keeping that torso intact. I think we really had a, got a lot of bang for the buck out of something that simple. And we would do it for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 50 seconds. And I'll tell you what, you put one Lila sleeve on one leg and you swing that sucker for 40 seconds and you have to keep your torso intact and you can't fall apart, you're out of gas. Yeah. That's, that's a really difficult workout. So with that said, again, very controversial for some people, we did one 23-second run in the entire season. And we did one 150. That was the extent of our speed endurance for the entire season. Yeah, not now, not a lot. What would we, you have done in the past? Like like six or eight of those or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And again, I had two guys that ran under 21.5. And that, that was over a second, almost a second improvement for one and over a second improvement for the other from last year. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, that's one of the cool things too with all this. I, I think in track, especially as Tony Heller says, the ultimate output sport, you and you can hop on tfersathletic.net and you can say, okay, this is what we did, you know, time, time, time. And there it is, you know, and yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely would like to get in the drills, but I guess just, just right off the bat too, maybe I will start with that setup and the, I guess the speed endurance being the big thing, right? And I know, you know, Dan Victor especially has had a long correspondence with Jay Schrader and, but I think one of the big things within the Jay Schrader world of things, and you know, the JDB Hammer connection is strong. Who knows exactly what the conspiracy theories would have you, you yeah. know, within that? But there's there's certainly some connection there. But within the DB thing, that thirty second, the AN two bracket, right? Like, yep. you got the the AN one, the AN two. Basically, I just look at like fifteen to forty five seconds, the the longer, you know, the longer work, yep. and. I look at you know people would train with Jay and it's like oh we didn't sprint but we got faster and but they were just doing a ton of short long stuff bodyweight holds neurological you know you know quick twitch oriented training and it was able to have a really positive effect and you know it makes you think sometimes is it really I I do think you know you at some point have to be specific you go to the meets and you're specific with the emotional intensity of the meet as well. Yeah, uh, and I think that helps with the longer sprints too. It's actually a different long sprint sometimes when you have everybody there than it is just in practice. But and I think Jay talked about that a lot, like the emotion of like everything that makes sport sport is a little unique sometimes to sport. But yeah, anyways, that that bracket, I think about that in terms of you know training core qualities as well, and maybe being well, able to. That's, do so. That was another yeah. big change that we did was on our off days we did, and I'm. In the past, I've never been a core person. Only recently have I become that. But we would do our core exercise, and we have some very unique ones, but we would hold for 30, 40, 50 mm-hmm. seconds instead of you know, 10 seconds or 20 seconds yeah. in, in these different positions that we would have. And then can you breathe and hold that position mm-hmm. in, these different, uh, in, the, in those positions? And same thing with our feet stuff. We started extending feet stuff out to two minutes. Yeah. That that's great. You can you can hit it for 20 seconds or 30 seconds, but you watch a 200 and that's really where I I kind of got my basis from is you watch the end of 200s with average kids and you can see everything fall apart. Mm-hmm. We all train the same distance, you know, we all do the same workout. Why is Jimmy and John running 22 and Steve and Bill running 24? Well, 
their torso is completely falling apart. <laughs> their, their, mm-hmm. their rib cage is all over the place. So we need to learn how to anchor that rib cage in position because once that rib cage starts moving around, you can't spin your legs anymore and you fall apart. Your head falls somewhere, your something else falls somewhere else, and you're not running fast. You're not efficient anymore. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Ryan Banto was on not too long ago talking about Tony Wells. And like if someone had a speed endur- endurance issue with Tony Wells, it would, he would give them like not not just hey your hundred the back end of your hundred is bad go run one fifties or something it would be uh, something specific coordination based for the back end of that sprint instead of just saying go further because it's not necessarily going to fix the problem just to go further that's <laughs> that just means you went further it's like well what are you actually doing in the back after that sprint that's fundamentally right. different and I think so often too the longer I've been doing this so it's not it's not just do more it's there's look at what's actually happening is it maybe a could say an inside out issue like a muscle chain that's that's not very strong compared to other things you know alignment is it yeah, yeah is it a coordination endurance you're just not coordinated at this you know and you you need to dial in on that so it seems like doing those like you said 30 to 40 seconds like specialty drills like you mentioned like the leg whips things like that do you feel like that like compared to i guess i mean that basically is replacing like the longer stuff for you then like yeah but it's more specific because I know, you know, not everyone had the same drill. You, yeah, you watch yeah. people and say, hey, this is what I need you to do. You know, you, you videotape them and you go, hey, let's look at this. And yeah, this is the drill I want you to do. I want to see you do that, you know, while everyone's doing their stuff on the 1080. But yeah, I think if you're doing that, if you're doing a longer distance, 23 second runs, and I'm not saying I'm not going to go back to 23 second yeah. runs, but if you're doing a drill that's actually helping you run better, for that allotted time compared to a 23 second run where you're falling apart at the end just because that's what happens at the end of the 23 i think i got more bang for my buck from from those drills and then we hit spring break and then we switched we had a weird spring break because i coach at one school and teach at another and our spring breaks didn't match and i went to belize with my wife for a couple of days so that threw things off too we went scuba diving. I swam with a hammerhead shark. That was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I always have to throw that in. I used the 1080 as an isokinetic machine. So I turned it into a synchro. I figured that out. It only took me 11 years to do that, but I figured it out. And, you know, from listening to your podcast, you had some people come on and said, you know, you get hamstring problems because we do velocity work all the time you sometimes you need to go back and do force work and we did some really unique hamstring stuff for two solid weeks we didn't run for two weeks we did isokinetic hamstring work and we bought a kaiser calf raise based on what i've heard on your podcast and i love that machine that machine's really good really good and so we did kaiser calf raise all throughout indoor but we really hit it hard with the isokinetic stuff on the 1080 for two solid weeks. Nobody ran. It was just isokinetic work to really hit the back end of doing all that velocity work that we did and just going to the force aspect of it. We set the velocity really slow on the 1080 for the first couple week, for the first week. So you just have to grind for 12, 10, 12, 15 seconds. And you can feel when that hamstring jumps off or that glute jumps off. So now we're really focusing on that nice, constant endurance of that muscle through the range of motion. And then that second week, we sped it up and we put some juice on the eccentric. So now it became kind of like sprinting with your hamstring, where it pulls you out really fast and you've got to reverse it 
and then pull it back in. Whether you're working your bicep fem, and then we did bicep fem with uh, tibialis. You know, you have two heads on your tib. And so we did some foot flat and foot kind of cocked. And it both feel very different. And you see some sprinters, they hit flat, some hit on the side of their feet. Those are two different hamstring functions, depending on how that foot hits the ground. Yeah. That's like um, internal torque chain versus external torque chain, just whatever yeah. whatever way the torque's going. Yeah. Can you describe the isokinetic a little bit? Because when you mentioned isokinetic, at first I thought you meant like like you're using it for strength training or something. Like, were you like, I, sorry, I, I'm not familiar yeah. with the isokinetic usage. Can you go into that a little bit more? So you you slow the velocity that the 1080 can come out at. And we slow it down to two tenths of a meter a second. Oh, got it. Okay. So no matter what you do, you push. It's a constant push. Yeah, same you can't speed, go any yeah. faster than that. I don't. Maybe I'm using the wrong word, but no, that's right. Yeah, uh, that's what we did for a week. Like, like, and you use it not to sprint, but like obviously two that two tenths. Like you can't. <laughs> that's not even march no, speed. You're, like you're you're laying on your back. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a strength movement. Like a strength movement. So we did we did strength work for two weeks. Like lying on your back, hip flexor, and like hamstring curls and stuff like that? We did bicep femoris exercise, so you're laying on your back, and it's pulling you back up over the top. Then you flip over on your stomach, and then you do some foot neutral and some foot in. Then we progress to doing that standing up. Gotcha. And then it becomes a, a core exercise because that 1080 wants to snap your leg back really fast, and now you've got to stabilize your spine. When something's pulling your leg back and you've got to reverse it and pull it back up, just like when you sprint. That makes sense. So the the one on your back, was that like a hip flexor attached to the foot? So it trained the tibialis as well or just the tibialis? Yeah, we put it around your foot. Yeah, uh, yeah. An attachment to your foot. So that workout took forever because I got 20 guys. <laughs> oh, man. And to, get through one th- to get through one set, it takes a minute to go through a set for each leg. So those workouts took forever. That's crazy. Tell me a little bit more about, you You mentioned, uh, and I, I really like that, like the idea of, hey, you know, here's your 30, 40 second exercise and, and you have different buckets to put people into too, based yep. on need. I, I I think that's so cool. So tell me a little bit, you, you mentioned like the swing leg with the exogen for time. Uh, like tell me some of the different needs or buckets people might fall into for that 30 or 40 second burst there based on their racing need. So we're looking, you know, I think how we ended up, you were a slicer or a stomper. So if you're a slicer, we did a lot of slice. Well, in indoors, most of our drills were all slice drills, mm-hmm. resisted slice drills, uh, single leg resisted slice drills with or without the oxygen sleeves. You know, if you follow basic physics, if we weight down the leg that's not doing the work, the other leg has to work faster. So the, sometimes the leg that wasn't doing all the slicing would have the sleeve on because your body wants to balance. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that for a couple of years. But when we got outside, we went back to the old DB hammer box jumps for stompers, but we did it with resistance. So you had rubber bands on over Hmm. and we would jump up onto maybe a half inch or quarter inch mat. And then my slicers went out and they did their slice drills. So they did resisted slice drills again. I almost blew it. I thought I had this really good moderate workout that we were going to do right before conference. And I'm thinking, oh, this is, this will be perfect. Two days later. Coach, what was that? We're all sore. I'm like, oh, we got conference in a day. What was I thinking? I thought it was going to be moderate. I said, no, you made the, uh, (laughs) we were all beat up. But we went and ran 4103. So I guess it wasn't worked. Wasn't, wasn't, yeah, wasn't, wasn't nothing, uh, was nothing bad enough that really caused any issues for sure. 
but I'll tell you, there were there were practices where I got in my car and I'm driving home and I'm thinking, yeah, I wasted that practice. We we didn't get any better today. You know, I had this great idea or whatever, and it's like, yeah, that didn't work. That didn't work at all. Yeah, yeah. That, I I want that one back. I, I wish I could have it back because we have. You know, we only train a couple of days a week, so we have a countdown. Like you got 23 days to get better to get to this point. Just so there's some urgency in practice. It's like, okay, I've got an hour to do this or an hour 15. Yeah, I can give an hour and 15 because I only have, you know, 22 practices left or eight practices left and, and, and stuff like that. So it, it gave some urgency in, as to I've got to get better. This is what I have to do if I'm going to get to this point. Yeah. You you talk about the practices, like, I guess you could call them the failed practices, but I feel like it's kind of like an inventor. Like they talk about like how many bulbs, you know, did Thomas Edison or, or, you know, how, how many failed inventions before you got to the thing? You know, I almost feel like a mark of a good coach in some ways is, well, how many practices did you fail and, and use that as a learning experience, you know? And I mean, not feel like everyone got hurt or something, but it just wasn't, you just didn't get what you wanted. you know. You yeah, the, I, I know of three off the top of my head, all on a Monday when I thought I had, I had smaller numbers because I coach with Rob Assisi, uh, so he's the jumps coach. And so he'll take his kids away and you know, we've got some hurdle guys that go with Nate Beebe. And so it, I'm down to like, I got 10 or 12 kids that are just my pure sprinter guys. Like, I can get a lot done today. I'm going to do this, this, this. And it's like, oh, that didn't work <laughs> at all. Logisti- logistical, issue, logistical issue. Well, I was just thinking too, like, you know, you talk about that 1080 and <laughs> you go once every 20, just like logistical stuff, you know, with what you're trying to yeah. do so often. I've definitely run into that plenty of times. Uh, uh, it's so an unspoken it, important part of the coaching process, logistics. Yes. But, you know, part of it was I made a bad choice or I thought it would work better or and it didn't it didn't go well so you learn i mean you know you take chances and you learn from those chances and you know you wish you had those practices back but for next year i know what not to do yeah tell me a little bit more too just to kind of get into the um i'd love to dig into that like you mentioned like the triad like the like the heavy sled or heavy 1080 you know and then block start and then like a specialty an2 or you know 30 40 second like that seemed like like that kind of triad type thing i just love that high you know the 30 to 40 second bursts. love it It reminds me too of you and dan had talked about the you know the different speed workouts and that old want to get fast or how to get fast volume one or two or whatever and yeah you know it'd be that's like a good video oh so good that's like that's classic i feel so bad i i think i just have the electronic version i wish i had the dvd to put on like my bookshelf behind me with all my books it would totally be there but i was- have one dv i have one <laughs> dvd and i don't even own a dvd player anymore <laughs> yeah, I would have it just to have that, you know. Um, I think it's on my Dropbox somewhere. I need to go back and watch it again. But one of those was like, you know, I just remember a lot of those workouts were like, all right, you're going to run a fly 10, then you're going to do, you know, prime times, then you're going to do hurdle hops or depth jumps, and then you're going to do single leg line hops for 30 seconds, you know, as fast as you can. And I would talk That's about still that. the basis of yeah. all my workouts. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, so good. I, I, that single leg line, it's just so funny too, because you, I think you, you, you come up in the industry if you're the coach and coaching education, you're like, 30 seconds, that's endurance. You know, it's like, oh, it should just be quick. And it's like, no, that's where it's at. Like, that's the secret that's where sauce. It's at. That's the secret sauce. Because, <laughs> yeah. 
And it's amazing how many kids can't hop on one leg for 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially over a rope, you know, because I don't use the yeah. rope or whatever or a broomstick or something because otherwise they'll just shuffle it and it'll just look, you know. Yeah, no. you got to get your foot up and over the whatever I've got down there. Yeah. I, yeah. That's what, a, what have, have you had anything other than a rope, like make them jump over a higher hurdle or anything or any other, you know, Chris Corpus no. specialty? <laughs> uh, we I go can... hands overhead with a crowbar. Yeah, that's about it. That's all you really need. Because you're not falling from that far. The box jumps we did this year, the the DB hammer box jumps where you, you know, jump up and down and reach down for the ground. That would be that. But again, the highest we went this year was four inches. Wow. And that's um, um, like a single leg. I, I a remember- single leg RFI jump type thing. I forgot what all the yeah. letters there that go with it. <laughs> that some, there should be a quiz for somebody to see who can remember the most of those. Because I, I remember when I was first going through that, I was like, what the hell? Like, I, I was R-E-A, like, R-A, why don't... Oh, so that, and that RFI? Was, yeah, not my forte. I learned, we talk about stories. I have to have a story to learn. Like physics, the story problems are always way easier for me. Like I struggle so much if it's like just two letters. I'm like, I don't know what. Uh, but yeah, as soon as you said DB hammer jumps, I was thinking it's got to be that you're facing the box and you just go yeah. bet, uh, you know, as up fast and, as you can on one leg up, up and down. Yep, yeah, up and down. You get off the ground as fast as you can. Yeah, yeah. That stuff is so, I mean, I just think that is, I, I think sometimes we make reactive strength really complex, you know? I mean, and it's. I think it's good. People who get into those numbers and things, it's good, but... It's, I think it's just so easy to say, here, here's this time, do as many times as you can. Like it's about the simplest, yeah. fastest off the ground. And, you know, I, I'd love, uh, I know you've talked about this on, on TFCs, but like the stompers and slicers, I, I'd love it if you could actually just go into that a little bit more in respect to like the, the, you know, these circuits and the special exercises. Well, ideally everyone's a slicer, you know, that's Ken Clark's work. And I worked with him, with my guys this summer and, and we had really good results. But some guys, they just can never really get out of that. They don't create enough space for them to slice where they can bring that leg up and, and slice it down underneath them, which is fine because there's some fast people that, that stop too. So I get to a point at the season where like, all right, I'm giving it up. This is the best you're going to do. You're not going to slice. I got to go with what you got and create a different set of exercises for you to do, for you to reach your goals. And so I think with about five, six weeks left in the season, I broke my group into halves, into stompers and slicers. Mm. And you can see, you know, you can see someone who creates space, like I said before, increase that tangential velocity uh, to bring it in. And some kids just never got to that point. So I had to cut my losses and and divide them up and, and break up into all right, this is the best I got out of you. So I got to make do with what I got. now, let's not strengthen your weakness anymore. Yeah. Let's strengthen your strength at this point because I need you to do X, Y, and Z in the next five weeks. Got it. So basically, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was kind of jumping so into that's, this. So that's, that's why I, I, I made that cut. Like, all right, this is the best I'm going to get out of him for what I want him to look like or what, what he needs work on. So at this point, I got I to gotta go with what I made and uh, build something that they get the best out of the, the end of their season. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure I'll, I'll have a follow up with the strengths and weaknesses bit there in a second for you. Because I think that's a, you know, that's a topic too. Do we train someone's strengths or weaknesses? When do we interchange and all that stuff? You know, I think that's, again, that's the art of coaching too. I don't think there's probably like a hard right. line for everybody. It's kind of like, all right, you're not getting any better, you know, like that instinctual decision. But, you know, I was going to ask you 
just to, to find just to quickly kind of clear up in my head at least with a slice it makes it seems like from what you're describing like a a slicer is someone who gets i guess you could say more swing swing leg retraction like they can straighten out their leg a little bit more and have they it can straighten out yeah. their leg a little bit yeah. more because they've created more space off the ground where they can actually either have time to bring it through or height to bring it through yeah and part of that's going to come with what happens with the foot on the ground and what kind of lift you get and how much horizontal versus uh, vertical force you're creating. You know, I know back in the day, Peter Wayne did a big thing about the amount of vertical force that you put in the ground. But I've got guys that jump 40 inches vertical jump, and they're not my fastest guys because they have too much vertical force into the ground. There has to be some forward direction. And so how can I get you to create that? So you can use this incredible spring to knock you forward. Yeah. Would, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I'd imagine some of those 40 inch guys who aren't very fast are like the stompers, like the people who could like oh, yeah. run like a vert, like their, their knee bend. It's kind of like running, like your vertical jumping essentially. Yes. Whereas the, yes. especially that at should, that initial, that initial hit too. Yeah. Like I've got my, one of my fastest guys, my two fastest guys, I think they only jump 33 or 34, but they both run. 21-3, 21-4. And it's because they are their slicers and they can get more horizontal more horizontal force and velocity than someone who is a stomper. Yeah. Basically a bigger wheel. Uh a bigger wheel. Yeah. More like Roadrunner. Yeah. The road yeah, the road, who's the alternative? You got you're either the in the spirit of the story, you're either the roadrunner or you're <laughs> I don't know. Not the, yeah. To think about that one. Right. So yeah, that makes more sense. So yeah, actually, so now that I, I have that I have that in my head, you were saying that if you're a stomper and you need to work on your weakness, which is making that wheel bigger, you know, being a little more supinated and, and those those spring properties of the foot associated with it and things like that. You ha- you're having them do more like swing leg drills in the air type thing, like with the Yeah, swing okay. leg drills, uh we call them swings and cycles. So swing is just bringing that leg back and forth. And sure enough, your stompers aren't great at swinging that leg back and forth. And then how tight can you bring that calf to your hamstring when you cycle through and keep your torso in one piece and, you know, not articulate your spine and move all over the place. And as we got better at that drill, we got faster. Yeah. And when we had some great 60 times this year, but you really started to see it in the 200 and the 400. Mm. And when we had a kid that started off, and I know it's indoor, he started off at 52. He ended up running 49. Wow. He was fifth in state in the 400. And then he steps back. And again, we were talking about split times earlier. He split out a 47 second 400 in the four by four. Wow. Again, split time, but that's what his goal was. And it was the last race and the last meet. He's only a junior and he just let it rip. But again, he was a kid that he saw some of the videos before and after. It was really quite impressive. That's awesome. We had one kid whose feet were horrible and we thought he was a freshman. And if he, he swung his arms so far to the outside that we thought he was going to get disqualified for hitting people. That's how bad he was. And I said, all right athlete you can't you will carry this red water bag on your back for every practice that we do uh you will never have that red water bag off your back and sure enough as <laughs> the indoor season progressed he wasn't swinging his arms and he ran faster and as a freshman in an open race he ran a 51 second 400 that's awesome so 
With the water bag too, I mean, how do you look at that? I, I do want to ask you a little bit more about the hip flexors. I had a comment with the hip flexors and the swings, but in terms of like the role of the core and the trunk in, in running in a water bag, I've seen it. you do a ton of stuff with it, but what's your thoughts on the role of that or the connection there? So in my opinion, the arms are just the secondary rudder for what your feet don't do. So if your feet don't push you completely forward, you've got to swing your arms because ideally we're running toward a target. And your body's going to create whatever compensations it can to get as much energy toward that target as possible. So if I take away your arms and I put a water bag on your back, which is constantly unstable, and I give you a target, which, you know, he did, I always had him look at something at the end of the track and, and stuff like that. So he really focused on a target. Your feet have to do a lot more work because I've taken away every compensation pattern for you to get to your target. And so he lived with that bag huh. and he was religious about it. He even named it That's the awesome. whole thing. And eventually got rid of the bag because his feet were working well. And all of a sudden he was a completely different kid, completely different kid. So when we got outside, inside, we only had 60 meters and we have a beautiful indoor 200 meter field house. But, you know, I try to keep them off the curves as much as I can. You know, indoor for us is really, can you stay healthy for those eight weeks? Yeah, and trying to keep him off the curves as much as possible and put the bag back on his back. And uh, so now you got to do it for the 100 meters that you got to do your drill. And by the end of the year, you know, five weeks out, there's no more bag. Uh, he looked great. And that's when he started, you know, 50, 41 or 51 yeah. second quarters, knocking out times where, you know, in another year, he could have ran varsity for us. Oh, that's cool. It makes me think about Dan John had said something about like compressing things so you can expand later, like just you yeah. know, restricting down degrees of freedom, freedom. So you only have this option. And then. Yep. And that's, that's what drills should be is yeah. the only option you have is to do it. What we think is right. And I'm not saying that everyone's got the same running form. Uh, and that's, again, that's the art of a coach that, all right, you, your legs may be all over the place, but if it's contacting at the right place and the net propulsion is forward, I really may, I may not want to mess with too much there. Yeah. Back to the slicers. Or actually, with the, the one thing I was going to mention with the leg swing drill in the air is, you know, in all your old videos, I was trying to think, I know you've, you, I've seen you do like some hip flexor work on the K-Box from way back in the day. Uh, yeah, I don't do that Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't feel like I've seen you do a lot of like direct hip flexor work. I was like, that's the one thing I could think of. But, you know, I we do a lot, but, but okay. Cause I was going to ask you, cause I know those, those swing leg drills are going to be pretty, you know, hip flexor intensive in addition to the hamstrings and everything that goes. And with then you that. throw the Lila Genex, the, the, the Lila sleeves. Oh on. yeah. It's a ton. Everyone wants to put on like a 500 grams is a lot for a leg swing. Oh yeah. Use the two, use the 200 grams. 200 grams is plenty. Oh, especially for 40 seconds. <laughs> yeah. 500 grams for 25 seconds. <laughs> and again, we, we ramp it up over time. We start with the 15 second swing, especially with weight, because it does, it blows out, it blows out your hips. And over time, we gradually added time and it's hard. Uh, the first time we did it, even for 15 seconds, my kids were like, damn coach, that's tough. I don't know if I want to do this. Thing. Oh yeah, we got, we got two more cycles through this. All right. All right. And then, you know, you watch the kids that aren't very strong and not as fast. You see their spine all over the place yeah. when they go to swing that leg. And that's not what we want. There's, we should not have a counterbalance because when we sprint, we don't want to have weight come behind where we're pushing because your spine is pushing a third of your body backwards. So we really focus on anchoring that down. 
Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I could, I literally could picture an athlete who's a little bit weaker through the trunk, like doing that. And you could see their spine like bent, you know, arc, anterior tilt, posterior tilt, anterior tilt. I mean, I got to see a little anterior tilt the sprint, but I'm sure they're driving it from their spine and their chest probably more than their, you know, those little They they start doing the Ichabod (laughs) crane, shutting their chin out type thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that would be, would that, you, you said you do a lot of hip flexor stuff. Do you feel like that would be, if you could only pick one thing for the hip flexors, I mean, I'm probably, this is probably not a good way to frame the question, but I mean, in terms of the impact you think that has on a hip flexors or hamstrings, do you think that's one of the best or are there other hip flexor exercises? Uh, you that's, choose? you know what, because it requires no equipment. All you need is a fence or a wall to put your hands on. And then, you know, you want to make it harder, just put one hand on the fence or the wall. Now you've got to get this diagonal sling to lock down it's a no-brainer i mean how hard is it in between whatever you're doing to go up go do some leg swings and do them right go for 20 seconds set 20 seconds on your phone boom go there was some research that came out a year or two ago and they talked they were talking about other things and then one of the last sentences and again in research if you say this it's a pretty strong statement uh we think it'd be a good idea to develop speed is to improve hip flexion strength and speed it's like wow if someone comes out and actually says that in a research paper you know they saw something there that was really really important quickly before you press fast forward which i totally get but the exogen wearable resistance sleeves by lila which chris has been talking about on this episode you can grab 15 percent off of exogen wearable resistance gear by heading to lilateam.com and you can use the code JFS2023 for 15% off of that order. I hope you get a chance to check it out. It's an awesome product. That being said, let's get back to the show. Yeah, with the with the hip swings too. I mean, you're going... Now, it's funny because like with Jay Schrader, I think he's probably had this in his program for yeah, however long, but like where you're just standing straight up. This isn't sprint... As none of his stuff was really sprint specific. It was more human right. and general pattern specific. Positional, yeah. Yeah. But you would stand relatively straight up and you would just like your your feet would be at your side and you would just take one leg and just like swing it up into the air as high as you can and stick it and then, you know, swing it back down and stick it and swing it up and stick it. I mean, I think you're going all the way back like a cycle, basically. I've seen a video of it. So it's like... Yeah, we've done that. We've done shakes where you just hold it out in front. So it's more of an oscillatory oh, yeah. isometric. Oh, nice. Which is... For 40 seconds. Know, <laughs> that, one, that one's not that long. Yeah, that would be like 15 and then <laughs> you die. That's a 20. That's a 15, yeah. 20. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to try that actually tomorrow. <laughs> that's, we call those shakes. I love those it. Those shakes. I love it. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because even the Jay Schrader one, like I like that. I've, I've used that with athletes for a while, but for some, I don't know why I've never thought to put the Lila on for it for some reason. So yeah, that's what they're for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I never thought that. All right. Well, awesome. So with the, uh, the slicers, so the people who do have that bigger wheel and hit with that little more supinated strike, you, what did you mention was the thing? What is their weakness? I mean, obviously their, their wheels good. Like what's the thing you're trying to bring up with them? Uh, we just want to improve that velocity that comes into the ground. It's kind of like a prime time, but I found that if you can isolate just one leg, and by the way, my problem with prime time runs is everyone gets way too vertical when they do their prime time runs. Yeah. You put that five degree bend into your torso where you're leaning into it a little bit where you should be when you sprint. It's a completely different exercise. Also, you know, I think prime time runs are great for your beginner athletes just to teach them to try to get their foot close to underneath not way out in front, but we've kind of developed it into a bent knee prime time uh, with yeah, resistance. Yeah, flex, yeah, flex leg. 
and so then you really focus on one leg as to how far you can strike it into the ground. And then even more importantly, it's what you can get out the back end. So with prime times, again, people hit the ground and they scissor back up and forth and there's no actual thrust coming down. So we add a spring at the end, a heel flick to come up. And that's what actually gives you your height. So you can set up the other leg to create that next slice coming down. So that's our drill that we do. That's our slicer drill. Yeah. Uh, we do it with one leg and then we eventually add calf sleeves. And then we go for distance and then we go for velocity and then I'll pull you on the 1080. And so how fast can you, now you're going to get pulled on your face if you don't get that leg down faster. So it's just a different impetus to get that leg down and see how fast you can get that leg down. And again, you don't need these huge ranges of motion. It's only about that far that you're going to bring it down. But we want that speed as much as possible come into the ground. And so for my slicers, that was that was their drill. Um, we didn't vary from that very much. We may have varied distance or resistance or overspeed. But again, those kids have really good lateral chains, so we didn't need to put anything over their heads or anything on their back. We just wanted to focus on that that bicep fem slamming that leg down in the ground as fast as they can and then create store that energy and put it back out when they they bounce forward for that group the slicers with the typical stir the straighter leg sprint stride or or at least when they when they hit when they contacted the ground did you find that you preferred one of the prime times more than the other for them like did you do you feel like their weakness would probably be or the thing they don't do is probably a little bit more of the flex leg type action do you feel like that is their their weakness no they were they were good at that um it was just about how fast can you bring that leg down because oh, got it. they were already fast for high school kids. I mean, they're sub 11, sub 21.5, you know, sub 22. That's fast for a high school kid. There's a handful of kids in our state that can do that. I thought their limiting factor was the speed that that leg comes down. So it's Ken Clark's tangential velocities. And can I strengthen that? Can I speed it up? Can I create more endurance so you can still have the same velocity at 170 meters as you did at 50 meters? And that was really our goal for the, that was their entire season is working on that. I wish they had some form of measurement where you can measure those angular velocities. They don't, but I think as they got better at that, they got faster. Yeah. So you're viewing that more almost as um, just a free, like if to, to make it like so simple, right? It, it's just a free, it's a frequency thing in terms of, Hey, I'm going to have you bound faster, you know, where you, your wheel yeah. of a big wheel, let's work on your frequency, but let's do it in context of a, a bound, a straight leg bound, a flex leg bound. Yeah. Uh, they didn't do any straight leg stuff. Oh yeah. No straight leg stuff. Okay. Cause I always think of a prime time as straight leg. So basically it's always it some, it's always some knee bend to it, like some level of. Yeah, but this is, you look more squatted, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Squatted, flex leg bound, squatted bound, or different people have different terms, I'm sure, but yeah, like, uh, I mean, I always know for me, like, I always felt, I always felt much more powerful with a flex leg bound. That was one of the first things that turned me on to like, well, maybe I could squat down a little bit when I run, you know, like, I I feel more power there, so, and I feel more power doing the this, you know, straight leg bound or primetime type bound doing it, so, it was always a good way to feel that. Yeah, that was my, that was what the slicers did. That was, they're either pulled on the 1080 at some level. Um, when we got outside and it got warm enough, we did overspeed. And then I have that weight, that release. It's like a garage door opener that lets go. 
and we were measuring your flies after you got let go. So how much how much speed could you keep when you got let go? Oh yeah. Uh, I made the mistake of having and I thought they were farther away than they were, but when that sucker let go, it knocked through both of my laser beams. <laughs> oh jeez. And and pulled the jack out of my timer. Oh wow. It wrecked everything. <laughs> and I had it on film. That's awesome. Well, send it to me. I'll, I'll put it on the show notes. The I think it, I I put it up. I I had uh I called it a bad day at practice or something. I think that was one of my only two posts for Twitter for most of the track season. The other one was my kid working on shin angles on the start. He fell on his face. <laughs> I saw that. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So he so, ended up he ended up making finals in the hundred. Oh, that's uh, he awesome. Ran, he ran ten eight. Yeah. The ten eighty guys came out. The week of sectionals, they brought the new 1080 machine out to show us. It was awesome. And they put this kid who, in my opinion, not my opinion, he is the most powerful athlete I've ever worked with. And I told Ola that, and he's like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. You know, typical Ola, not really believing me. <laughs> and so he put him on the 1080, and they crank, they put it at 15 kilos, which is kind of like a marker if you use a 1080 a lot. And he ran for 30 meters, and Ola looked at me and goes, that's the most powerful person I've ever wow. seen run on the 1080. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, yeah. Just, but just, remember, these guys have been running on a 1080 for two, three years. So it's, you get what you, you, know, what you put into it. I would hope that that would be true, that, yeah, you've been running on this for a couple of years, and you know, you, you've learned how to, to create that horizontal force. Yeah. Just a couple last questions for you here. And actually, the, I was thinking about the 30 to 40 second bracket. So, you know, with the bounding, did you do like endurance bounding then with like the flex leg bounds or how did you yes. hit that? Okay, nice. How far did you go to get that time for those like flex leg bounds? With resistance. So it's with oh, resistance. Oh, got it. Got it. 100 yards was too far. <laughs> I got lots of uh, negative feedback after the 100 yard ones. Really? <laughs> yeah. That makes And I time them and they were right. It's too far. But that was one of the workouts that I thought would be a moderate one, and it was too much and kind of mistimed it. Now, that was another thing we did a lot this year is we took longer breaks, like we made a different spring break. So there was a time where toward the end of the season, I think four weeks out from the state meet, all my guys had a mandatory seven days off. You couldn't even come to practice. Now, they all show up at practice when they thought I left, but I stayed longer just because they wanted to hang out. But we, we would have, we trained, excuse me, with less frequency this year. So we didn't train as much. Gotcha. We, on, on off days, we would do like our core exercises or we would do cat, the Kaiser calf raise and stuff. But, but we had blocks, either five or seven day blocks where there was no training. We don't want you going out playing basketball. Go play video games for five days. And that ended up working really well for us. If you didn't have those restrictions in the future, do you feel like that would cater you with your population towards lower frequency days? Or if you if you were back on your typical schedule, do you think you would be more in the middle of things? I don't know. I, I would have to see what my kid where my kids are at. Yeah. Part of what I did was out of fear. I didn't want to have hamstring city mm. at the end, like you see so many times. We didn't run our kids a lot early. Because I kind of believe, you know, that Bonderchuk stuff, I forgot what the number was, but there's only 
so many days in the year that you can actually go hard. And so I wanted to be on the lesser side of what that number I thought would be. So we trained less. And if you have really good kids, it's going to take them longer to recover anyway. It's just a higher octane athlete that needs more time to recover. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned too with the, the kid that set like the record on the 1080. I'm sure that guy is needs plenty of downtime in between those explosive bursts. Well, he's different. He's, uh, this, is, this is who he is. So you'll be at track practice. He'll go do something You're like, oh my God. And then he'll go, suddenly he's in the girls' soccer practice in the middle of their practice and he's got the ball doing crazy things. And then you wonder where he's at. And then he's at some other sports practice doing something. And then he comes back to track practice. Yeah, I'm ready. That was my rest coach. I just wanted to go do those things. And that was my rest. And I said, all right. Okay. I guess. Yeah. So he, he just runs at a completely different tempo. It's either a thousand miles an hour or there's, it's a neutral. So when you get him and, and, you know, our deal was we've got you for an hour 15. I need that. I need that thousand percent for that hour 15. So, you know, that seven minute rest that you planned for him is really, oh, look, he's hanging on the backboard. How did he jump that high? Well, that, that's, that's how he rests. So it was entertaining. He was, uh, a ball of energy that I don't think I'll ever get again. And he was, uh, an awesome story. Yeah, that's cool. It's uh, it definitely makes things a little bit more fun too. And it's like, oh, what's he doing oh, now? Yeah, so he could bring it, man. He can change the energy of an entire field house in a heartbeat. He's going to play football at Northern Illinois, my alma mater. I think if he gets some good guidance, you'll see him on Sundays. Oh yeah, I don't know how you could not. I mean, the things he can do, it's amazing, athletically. But he he started, he went out. I probably shouldn't say this story. He went out for basketball just for a couple of weeks, just so in the pregames he could slam it fifty mm-hmm. different ways and impress everyone. And then he got tired of doing. It. He said, "Yeah, I'm really a track athlete. I I, I did my thing in the pregame." <laughs> but he could put it. He's only six feet tall. He can put it down. He can do the jump from the free throw line and slam it. Wow, that's crazy. He can do. He can do anything you want. Oh. Oh, it's I've, yeah. I've if never not for seen football, one, <laughs> never seen one like him. Never seen one like him. It's it, it's just a, a force of nature. Yeah, maybe someone will maybe someone will um, get him on hurdles and pole vault in college at some point. It seems like a kid who'd love pole vault. This seems like a kid who'd have a pole vaulter mentality. If you can just get him to vault and get some hurdles, then he can do a do decathlons. <laughs> he came out last year. He's only out for track for two years. Uh, he came out last year, and the first day he went to long jump. And uh, he didn't know what foot to jump off of, and he long jumped. And now we weren't marking the board; we were just kind of ballparking it. He could jump twenty three feet off his wrong foot. Wow! And then when he figured out his right foot, he easily was the best jumper in the state. But after that, he could never find the board again. So <laughs> he didn't. We didn't long jump him at the end of the season because he he never found the board. Just uh, maybe too maybe a little too wired, <laughs> too wired. Yeah, there, that there's a twenty six footer in there. It's just. We couldn't, we couldn't direct it. Yeah. Last question, Chris is, yeah. so I, I talked about the weakness thing a little bit. Cause I'm, I'm just curious on that. How you, are you, like you said, it's an art, like reading the athlete, you know, but I, I but I'm curious the general, like if you had to give 
you know, general. It's always kind of puts a damper on the art form when you're like, hey, give me this general prescription, you know, for everybody. But just maybe some things to keep in mind when you're like, all right, hey, we, we've done enough weakness. Let's go to your strengths for us the rest of the year. Just some things that go through your thought process there. So how do I know to switch over? Yeah. That's me surrendering that I can't make any more changes. Mm. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. I, I, I gave you my best. This is where we're at at this point in the season. It's time that I, I look at where you're at right now and get rid of my hopes and dreams of what, as a coach, I think you should be just so I can show film of you before and after and what where you're at right now. Um, and again, a lot of kids made great strides, but you know, there, there's some structures that you just can't change in a human body and you're going to, you're, you're going to, that's the most I'm going to get out of you. Like everyone can't be Usain Bolt, but that doesn't mean I can't get another 10th or two or three or four or five out of you by making a, a switch here. So sometimes it's, you know, it's like when Rocky switches from, starts out in Rocky tour, he's fighting right-handed and then he goes, make the switch to Southpaw. You know, it, it's one of those situations like, all right, I got to make the switch. I got to go to what I know works for where you're at. And again, it, coaching for 30 plus years, you know, you develop a palette and you develop an eye. And I watch a lot of film of my guys, of other people. And you just know when it's time to make the change. And you know, I got five weeks left or seven weeks left. I know if I switched you and do this program for this time, because I've seen someone like you before and I got banged for the buck out of it, you know, I'm going there now. And that's what I did this year. Uh, there was a point where this is the best I'm going to get out of this group and we were doing phenomenal, but I got to get more and give up, you know, my idea of what a perfect runner is and, and all those things and say, this is what I got out of you right now. Here's your new workout. Here's your new group. Here's what you guys are doing. You're on your own. You guys, and, and we have that in our, I had such last couple of years i've I've always had great kids who are really good at you've got three things to do the 1080 monitors itself i can watch the second thing you're on your own for the third and they've always been great about doing that and that's where we split you know i had some slicers i had some stompers and uh we we parted ways they never worked out together again we ran together in meets but you know it, it worked out we had one kid who really blew it up at the end uh we weren't sure he was going to do it and uh he's got a new nickname now and he it all kind of came together the last two weeks and he he rocked the world like i said we almost broke state records yeah so that that was my switch that was uh you know switch to south Paul now rock <laughs> yeah and, and get the, <laughs> the scenario and get the story behind it too yeah you know and again i i know how many meets i have left i know how many practice i have left and you know there's a point where it's like yeah this is all i'm getting out of you we need to switch chris i'm sure you'll be uh speaking about this in a lot of detail at the upcoming tfcs do you want to tell anybody about those dates or anything like that i I, we, I don't think we have a TFC this summer. Ah, um, well, people have to wait till I guess the, I'm the winter. I'm speaking at Friends University in June. I'm at Natcom here in Chicago in June. Cal and I are doing the pre-conference. I really don't know what that means, but I know <laughs> Cal and I are the only speakers on Friday. Uh, and I'm talking about this at both those conferences. And then I think I'm supposed to go to Boston in July, where it's just Tony and I. And that's all I got lined up right now. Cool. 
the low key, maybe uh, somewhat low key in the life of Chris Corpus for a summer compared to I'm other not summers. Complaining. Yeah, I'm not I would, complaining. I would, I wouldn't be either. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much, Chris. Man, I, you know, I'm gonna, I, what I'm gonna do soon is I'm gonna go back to that old, you know, want to get fast speed training early volumes. Uh, to, and then uh, it'll be cool brainstorming, thinking about you know what you've been doing with the sprinting in those 40 seconds. Definitely giving me some new lines of creativity and thought process there. So it's always great. Look at Dan Victor's bad mullet in that video. <laughs> Uh, Although I, mullets are coming back, so it's coming right back into style. I, it, hey, perfect timing to rewatch it. <laughs> reopen <laughs> it if you guys don't have it for sale. You should reopen it. Uh, you know, that, oh, that's it's for classic. sale. It's yeah. up on uh, on our self on my selfie page. I love it. All right, so sounds good, Chris. Well, hey, thank you for uh, thank you for the chat today, man. It was great talking to you. And good seeing you again. Thanks, in your as always, with the guitar, Joel. So. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the show. I appreciate you being here and we'll see you next week.